0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: On November 22nd, I was deer hunting with a friend on some state land in central New York. After we got settled in a spot to sit, we started hearing wood hitting wood, which sounds completely different from stepping on a branch that breaks, and several whooping, grunting noises. Not long after that, we heard a large tree fall or pushed to the ground, and something was stomping through the woods, breaking large branches. At first, we thought it was a bear cause. It was so loud, like something big and heavy, or maybe a hunter but we were the only ones there. Plus hunters are trying to be quiet. All that noise brought us to our feet. While looking in that direction of the noise, I saw a tall, dark figure shaped like a pillar. There were no shoulders, so I'm thinking it was a side view. It was around noon. The pathway where the figure was standing was open and light up with daylight. I'm thinking it was about 50 yards away. I was staring at it for about five minutes, trying to see what I was seeing. The top where a head would be was turning back and forth. The reason I know is because there was something of dark red color that I kept seeing move around, In the darkness of the figure seemed to change like it was moving. I didn't want to take my eyes off of it. I was trying to reach in my bag to get my binoculars out without taking my eyes off of it, but I couldn't get into my bag. So I looked down for a second, and when I looked up, it was gone. After that, we heard more wood hitting wood and the whooping, grunting sounds. Both sounds were coming from two different directions. Then it stopped, and we moved to a different location. My German Shepherd hunting dog and I went early to hunt this morning at 5.45 a.m. along the old abandoned railroad bridge that crosses the bayou close to my hometown of Crowley. Louisiana, 70,526. Population, 13,450. Two. As it was early, there was a humid fog and it was dark enough to not see anything. We walked slowly between the rails of this old set of rusty railroad tracks. Hunterbone stopped and looked ahead down the rails as if he heard or sensed something. With nothing in view, we continued along, only for Hunterbone to stop abruptly once again. What is it, boy? A raccoon. A rabbit. Suddenly, a huge, hairy, dog-like creature came out of the fog down the rails, standing on its hind legs upright. Oh, shoot! I was terrified and fearful, and I raised my Remington twelve, Gage to fire two rounds of buckshot over this wolf, like things hid. Blam! Blam! The critter howled loudly and turned to run back up the rails across the old bridge, and I could hear it as it snapped shrubbery and foliage in the distance. Hunterbone and I ran back towards the pickup, and I turned about fifty yards to fire two more rounds for insurance, so he would make it home. As we got in the truck, we hauled boggy fast back to the main road that leads to Crowley. La. Wow. As we pulled into an Exxon gas station, I saw a Louisiana state trooper and explained my ordeal to him. He said he has had hairy dog creatures run in front of his cruiser at night, and it disturbed him greatly, but that the thing always heads off into the woods or jumps off the road. Well, okay, I'm going home to chill out. Later, as I sat in my home, I tried to rationalize what the hell i just experienced and why. For one thing, after 25 years of bayou hunting, why the heck did I not ever hear of this creature? This experience will keep me from hunting alone in the future. It really rattled my chain, for certain, and I suggest if you are going to hunt here in the south of Louisiana by yourself, be better prepared. relatively recently here in Sweden we had a bit of a whoopsie a visiting hunter from Norway was for some reason best known to himself out at 4 a.m. he was using a thermal imaging night scope with a recording function thanks to that record function he's now charged with attempted murder he took aim at a 75 year old man jogging and squeezed off a shot 200 meters 338 La Pua magnum with residential buildings as a backstop. The old man miraculously survived, but his hip was totally F-ed. Now this sack of Norwegian S claims he was sure that this running by P-Dead was a row of deer. Okay, but they were out of season, and you're not allowed to shoot them in the middle of the night either. What does he do when his target goes down? Pick up the rifle and runs away from his victim. Most of us think he pulled the trigger by accident. Still a massive D-head for aiming at a non-target. So, what makes me worried when I go out hunting? There might be a dumbass Norwegian out there. Edit. Google Norwegian hunter shoots Swede, and look for an article for the local. The video, this guy's scope recorded is there. Would you call it attempted murder? I'm not entirely sure myself. Still, apologies to all the Norwegians I seem to have upset. Please don't shoot my granddad. Ocala National, you probably came across either a poacher's camp or a drug operation, and they put those up to scare people away. Me and a friend were hunting there and stayed out past midnight looking for hogs. We realized we were way deeper in the woods than we planned on and began to walk out. We were probably three or four miles into the woods from the main road. We were walking in the dark, heavily armed with the R-15 sidearms and fixed blade-hunting knives in a hip sheet. So we really weren't afraid of anything. Plus, the moon was bright enough to navigate by even under the trees. We had lights mounted on our rifles, and I had a, a large, powerful flashlight in my hand that I could make into a strobe or use as a club. Whatever the point is, we were not paranoid of anything. We were heading back, and we start to hear something hauling through the woods on our right, and it was about to cross the trail in front of us. Most trails are old logging roads are pretty wide, and they make square quadrants out of the forest. This particular trail cut across one of the quadrants and was overgrown and thin. We thought it was a deer, or maybe a black bear, or either way, we couldn't shoot it at night. So instead of using the rifle lights, I used my handheld light. We waited until we heard it get near the trail. Then I turned on my light. All we saw was a pair of white legs cross the thin trail about 50 feet in front of us. They looked human. We were a little baffled like what moron goes crashing through the deep woods at 1 a.m. in shorts, and through the thick brush, not the trail. Super weird, but again unarmed as we were for hogs. We pushed on because it would have taken like 30 minutes extra to turn back and go around the quadrant. We hear crashing now and then in the woods, but it never got close to us again. Finally, we reached my car, and I was relieved it was still there and not broken into or anything. We keep the rifles loaded, shove our handguns between the seat and center console, and get in the front seat. I begin to drive out of the forest with my moonroof open, and the stars were just gorgeous. It's easy to forget how amazing the night sky is in the middle of Ocala National. About half a mile down the road, my headlights fall onto a man in a checkered button-down shirt and shorts just walling along the road. We are miles from any paved road, and then it's another 15 miles on the paved road to get to a town. Also, this in the northern part of the forest, where there are, are no old cabins that were built before it was declared a national park. This dude had no backpack or anything. Was this what we saw across the path? WTF was he doing walking out here at 1. AM with no supplies, no flashlight, nothing. He didn't even look at us as we passed. Anyway, as we got near the paved road, we unloaded the rifles and put them in the trunk and went home. It was a really fun trip and I can't wait to go back, but he'll always be armed in Akela National. Some seriously weird shit goes on out there. The location of this story takes us to the Ozark Mountains, not in Arkansas, but in Missouri, about 12 miles from the town where I grew up. I was a cadet sergeant in the Civil Air Patrol. My team and I had just finished a late-night training op. We were dropping off our camping gear at the field before heading back. I was walking out towards the rear of the van, where we had already begun climbing into our bunks to get sleep before we headed off to start the rest of our day in the morning. After about a minute, I had already turned off the headlights. I started hearing some distant howling. I happened to be facing towards the west, so I was looking out over the field where we were parked. The howling sounded like it was off in the distance on top of a mountain. Remember, due to the time, it was extremely dark, but I could sort of make out some shapes on the horizon. I'd recognize that hell anywhere. I spent my whole life and I grew up in that area and left only to go into the service. In the Ozarks, I've heard that howl too many times to count. It's the Ozark, heller, you know, where I grew up. If you've ever heard a hound like that in the distance, it meant one of two things. Either somebody's going out hunting and having a good time with beer, or the howler was on a spree. I immediately thought to myself, this is going to be bad. I was scared. I began scanning the horizon with my eyes, comparing what I could see of the shapes to mental images i have taken thousands of times of the terrain in my head. The last thing I wanted to do was be caught off guard. My heart sank in my stomach when I realized that the howls were coming from the west, from the base of the mountain range, to the east of us. That meant that there was a very high probability that whatever it was down there was now heading our way. I called my friends into the vehicle, and we started pulling all of our gear back out of the van, grabbing our rifles. I knew what was coming. We got our gear together, grabbed a couple of the Mi-4s and hunting rifles with night vision copes. We moved into a defensive position behind the van. Everybody else around me knew exactly what this was. Having most, if not all, of us around the vicinity of the Ozarks, we were all very familiar with the Ozark Heller. This was not a surprise to any of us. At the time, our location afforded us a very good view of the field in front of us. There were a few cottonwood trees in the middle of it and a very small creek running along one side. The field was about a half mile in width and about one and a half miles in length. We had a pretty good defensive position. We were behind the van, and the van itself was perpendicular to the tree line that ran alongside one of the fields. The trees were about 100 yards away from us. We had a very good field of fire. We had about a 180 degree angle of fire. Far back enough that we'd have surprise on our side, but close enough to the tree line that we'd be able to take some cover if something came at us from behind. The Ozark howler had a very distinct howl. We knew that whatever was coming our way wouldn't be coyotes or feral dogs. We'd heard them both before, and they don't sound anything like the Ozark Heller. The howls were getting closer and were moving into formation. Making sure everybody had night vision, I was the only one with a thermal scope, which we could have used. But we didn't know what we'd be facing, and I had no idea how to even turn it on. So we were going with night scopes for the time being. As the howls got closer and the volume increased, we began to look for movement in the field. I was standing next to the driver's side window of the van, looking out over the field, while some of my friends were on the other side, looking out over the tree line. I have to say, at this point, I was pretty jacked up. This thing had killed before, and it was coming for us. If it got to us, there'd be no escape. You have to understand, there was nowhere to go. It was either win or lose against this thing. I could hear it howling and getting closer, and we were watching the field intently. We saw some movement out of the corner of our eyes and turned to look at the tree line. I don't think anybody was prepared for what we saw when we looked in that direction. I remember it vividly, and the image is so burnt into my head. There were three of them. They were huge to begin with, but the way they moved and how their muscles rippled under their fur was terrifying. There were some of the biggest wolves I'd ever seen, but they weren't wolves at all. Their fur was a dull gray, almost white, with speckles of what looked like black mud and filth all over them. The smell emanating off of them was very strong. It smelled like wet dog and urine. The thing is, when they saw us, it wasn't a surprise. They knew we were there. We all felt it without saying anything, and that's what really scared us. The fact that they knew we were there, they didn't care. They were hunting something else. When we saw them, they stopped and stood still. They were looking at us like we were a meal. I was looking into the thermal scope and I could see some steam rising off of them. Now I can't overstate how huge these things were. And when they turned their heads to look at us, it made me feel very small. I felt like a mouse looking at three lions. I'm not ashamed to admit that I was afraid. We were all pretty much shaking, and we didn't know what to do. One of them howled again. That same familiar howl, and we all knew that it meant something. I don't think anybody will ever say what we were thinking at that point. Not out loud, anyway. I knew what I was thinking, though. I'll tell you why. I thought about the stories of these creatures. It wasn't just the stories of the Ozark Heller. It was all these other stories from local legends and myths. I thought about how they were supposed to be huge wolves, and I thought about those bluffs not too far from here. They stood up and turned towards the bluffs and began moving towards them. They were moving fast. It was amazing the way they could move on the steep hills without slipping or falling. It didn't take us long to get back into the van, and we drove off. I began reading about these creatures as much as I could more than just hearing stories. I read about how they were supposed to be some kind of a hellhound tormenting people who lived near them and how they're supposed to have this blackness surrounding them. I have never seen something like this out there, but I, I can tell you what it looked like to me. They were some kind of hellhounds, there's no doubt in my mind. You know what, though? I still think about those things every day. I still think about that night and... I wonder what would have happened if they had not turned around. If they had decided to chase us and come after us, we'd all be dead. They would have killed us without a second thought. I've never been back to that spot, not even with all the equipment in the world. I don't think anybody could make me go back there. But if you do see one of these animals, I would advise you to stay far from it. I say this because if they wanted us dead, we would be dead." They turned their backs on us and walked away like we weren't even there. Beware the Ozark Keller. I was up on patrol in the mountains of New Mexico. I had hiked about four miles out of my way when I saw these prints. They were three-toed prints that looked very clear. At first I maybe assumed they were bear tracks, but I got a closer look. They were too large to be an adult black bear. Right away, I thought this might be something else. I was tracking these prints when all of a sudden they stopped in what looked like an old dried creek bed. It had nothing wrong with sagebrush growing all over. It was really weird to see no other prints on the trail for a while. And then all of a sudden these tracks just started up again. Like whatever it was just levitated or sent it into the sky. I wonder if they were still fresh enough to have been made today. I couldn't tell. I kind of crouched down to see if I could smell anything, and radiating up off the tracks were this horrible, musty death smell that you could only smell if you got within a couple of feet of the actual tracks. So I started tracking these from there, and it was clear that whatever this was had been going around in a route or a loop, backtracking. That's when I came upon this section of pine. A lot of the trees in the middle were broken and torn. I eventually made my way back down, called my buddy and asked him if he knew anything about what I had seen. He tells me he has also been receiving calls about strange things going on in these mountains. I can't exactly say what this was made by, but I can tell you now that this was no black bear walking on two legs. This was something much, much different. We're up against something that we don't even know what it could be. As the leader of our Navy SEAL team, I never imagined finding myself in such dire straits. The mission in Iraq had gone from bad to worse, leaving us stranded and cut off from any form of communication. Surrounded by hostile forces in the heart of enemy territory, My team and I were on our own, relying on our training, resourcefulness, and unbreakable camaraderie to survive. We pressed on, navigating through treacherous terrain, always on the lookout for any sign of danger. Our hope was fading as each passing moment brought us closer to the brink of despair. It was during one of these tense moments that we stumbled upon a deserted cabin nestled deep within the woods, with no other options. We decided to take refuge there, hoping to regroup and come up with a plan. As we approached the cabin, a sense of unease settled over us. The air seemed to grow thick with an eerie tension, and a feeling of being watched sent shivers down my spine. We cautiously entered the cabin, our weapons drawn and ready for any threat that might present itself, but nothing could have prepared us for what we encountered. In the dim light of the cabin, we saw it an unknown creature. Its overlong arms hung nearly to the ground, each fingertip with eight-inch razor-sharp claws that glinted ominously. The creature's body was covered in a silver-like sheen of hair, and its size thirty-five human-like hairy feet left imprints on the cabin floor. Its head, however, was the most unsettling part, resembling that of a grizzly bear with a snout marred by deep scars that told stories of battles with beings even larger than itself. Despite its terrifying appearance, what struck me the most were its piercing blue eyes that seemed to hold the weight of centuries within them. Confusion and fear gripped us, and in our panic, we opened fire. The creature shrieked a haunting sound that reverberated through the cabin, and before we could react, it lunged at us, The chaos that followed was swift and brutal, resulting in the loss of five of our team members. We fought for our lives, desperation fueling our every move, until finally we managed to overcome the beast. As the creature lay dead before us, its once fearsome exterior now lifeless and still, we couldn't help but feel a mixture of relief and awe. What had we just encountered? And would anyone back home even believe our account of the creature's existence? With a heavy heart, we knew we had to press on. Inspecting the carcass revealed clues that the Iraq rebel arm was dangerously close. We couldn't afford to linger any longer. We made the difficult decision to withdraw, leaving the cabin and its secrets behind as we continued our journey toward the extraction point. Finally arriving at our designated location, exhaustion and uncertainty washed over us. We looked at one another, a silent question hanging in the air. What had we just face? Would General believe our story, or would our encounter with the unknown creature be dismissed as a hallucination born from the stress of battle? As we waited for extraction, the weight of our experience settled upon us. A reminder that even in the midst of war, there are mysteries that defy explanation and horrors that test the limits of our understanding. It was mysterious to me. I was in federal prison for four months. I was in the hole, 23 hours locked in the cell and and one hour out. But that's only five days a week. So it's 24 hours on the weekend. And it was winter. And the one hour is usually at 6 a.m. And you only have a jumpsuit and flip-flops. So you choose to not go outside at all. You're locked in a cell for weeks at a time. You think about everything, everything, all the things you'll do when you get out. That business you want to start, that food you want to eat, that chick you want to hook up with, every good thing you've done, the bad things you've done, the women again, the ones you've been with, the ones you want to be with, and then you run out of things. There are no more things to think about. You can't remember them if there are. Then it starts, a spark in your mind rhyme. Is that from a song? Who is that? I can't remember the name. Let me try to think of the rest of it. Maybe the chorus. And then more lines and more rhymes. You realize this is a new song that is forming in your mind. Why these words? Why this topic? I need to find something to write with. And some paper. I have an envelope somewhere. It pours out. Line after line. Rhyme after rhyme stanzas, choruses, bridges, alliteration, puns, euphemisms. Not one song, song after song. I can hear them being sung. I can hear them on the radio. Wait, hold on a second. Are these songs already out, and I'm just writing them down? Did I forget that I heard these songs before? I don't play an instrument. I am not musically minded. Sometimes it would take me 20 minutes to write an entire song. I'd daydream the entire thing into existence. Sometimes longer, and the ones that I couldn't finish right away, I could still feel them inside me. There was something there, something I tried to not force. I could tell there was more, and I just had to wait and relax, and it would come to me. As if the lyric had already been written and I just had to align myself with the right frequency. I got out of prison two months ago. I have all the songs. I hope to do something with them. I have no idea if this has ever happened to anyone else. It 99.9% probably hasn't. Behind my house is thick woods, miles of it, with trails kind of etched into the landscape. Now, for reasons that will become apparent very soon, there are two major buildings in these woods within hiking distance. One trail kind of runs in a loop, with various trails that branch off of it. The loop trail takes you to house one, which is occupied by an elderly couple. One of the branch trails takes you to house number two, which is just kind of an abandoned rotted shed type thing. The trail goes past this, but it's irrelevant. I frequently hike out there with my dog. Now I normally take the loop trail because I can just keep going straight until I find my way back to the trail. Now I know the trail by the back of my hand, but I usually take a cell with me. So if I up I can call my parents to come rescue me. About a month ago, I went on a hike with my dog as usual. However, about 15 minutes into the hike, my dog starts flipping out, barking and jumping around, eventually receding into a state where she won't do anything other than whine and follow close behind me. Eventually, I hike some more. She calms down. This is where the weird stuff starts. I saw a clearing in the distance. I find this very strange. Some of the branch trails lead to very small clearings, but I hadn't taken any of them. As I approach it, I begin to see something very strange. This clearing is covered in waist-high grass. Eventually, I get to the tree line, and I see possibly the weirdest thing I have ever seen. This clearing is massive and even weirder. The tree is just stopped. You could look in either direction and just see a wall of trees perpendicular to you. This field was so massive I couldn't even see any trees on the other side of it. As far as I knew, nothing even vaguely like that existed in my general area. Then I noticed a very faint desire, a path in the grass, seeming to lead to a black speck in the distance. Naturally, because I'm stupid, I decided to walk towards it. As I got closer, my dog started doing that walking behind me while whimpering thing. Eventually, I got to the house. It was a big house, but it was rotted and beat to hell. All the windows were cracked and broken. There were moss and weeds growing all over it. The shingles were falling off, etc. I'm fairly curious what the F I'm seeing as this doesn't look like house one or two. So I pull out my phone to see where I am. No GPS signal or reception and I'm in the middle of a field with no obvious obstructions. So if I do something stupid, I'm F. Ed. The see one of the basement windows is cracked slightly, and I head over to investigate. But halfway, there's someone inside yelled at an old man. Ish! Raspy voice. What in F.S. name are you doing here? I decide now is a good time to book it the other way. Then I heard what sounded like someone being stabbed and a girl crying out in pain or fright or both. Needless to say, I ran pretty much all the way home. Later investigation with Google Earth revealed no subsequent location in the surrounding area, and despite several subsequent hikes, the trail functioned as normal, with a dog behaving exactly as normal. This happened like a week ago, so it's still quite fresh in my memory. I was up in northern Canada camping with a bunch of my cousins and friends, Something we've done every year since I can remember. The trip started off routine, waking up with a sore back from sleeping on a crappy air mattress, spending a bit too much time in the sun out on the lake, only to deal with itching shoulders and feet the rest of the trip, and hanging out by the fire into the early hours of the morning. It's strange, although camping can be one of the most uncomfortable things ever, I've always felt grounded and safe whenever I'm by that water. That is, until what happened the last night we were there. My cousins, buddies, and I, the whole gang, would explore the campground every year to see if there were any new changes or upgrades to the old 1970s amenities. This year, we were pleasantly surprised to see that a brand new picnic shelter has been built on the opposite end of the park, maybe a 15-minute walk from our site. This thing was outrigged with a dozen or so outlets, six brand new picnic tables, and a great view of the beach leading into the lake. We decided that the last night of our trip we'd play some card games under a crudely hung flashlight at around 1 a.m., milking our last hours in the great outdoors. Being in our early twenties, we decided to indulge. In some libations before playing the games just to spice it up a bit and get the creativity juices flowing. We brought along a handful of beers each, too, keeping a watchful eye for park rangers looking to spoil some innocent fun with a citation. Those beers flowed right on through me, and within half an hour of being at the shelter, I had to take a piss. So I got up from the table we were sitting at and moved around the side of the structure out of the dim lighting and into the pitch black of the night. The only light around me was the moon's reflection off the perfectly still water, just enough for me to make my way onto the little trail we'd taken to get to this pretty secluded area. I unzipped my fly and began letting fly when I saw it. I did maybe a triple take to make sure I wasn't just high and tipsy, but no, there in front of me, maybe fifteen feet away, was a pair of human eyes glaring out of the bushes right at me. I knew I wasn't tripping out, because even in that short of time, my eyes had begun to adjust, and there I could see the faintest outline of the figure the eyes belonged to, shifting every so slightly and rustling some leaves. I didn't know what to do, and keep in mind, I'm like mid-piss, so I just blurt out, Get your eyes off my pecker because apparently that's the first thing that came to mind. WTF, I know. Then two things happened at once. The figure started emerging from the bushes towards me, and I heard the quick footsteps of my buddies behind me, running over to see what the hell I was talking about. That must have been all whatever that thing in the bushes needed to see, because it took off back into the woods. My friends were quite concerned because I'd been the one telling everyone to shut up and keep quiet all night, and now I'm yelling out loud something about my pecker. I told them what I'd seen, and they believed every word because one of them had heard bushes moving earlier when he went to take a leak, but thought nothing of it. So to the guy or thing or whatever was peeping in the bushes up north at two in the damn morning, let's never ever meet again. I'm not actually saying this was Bigfoot, I just don't know what else to call it. You be the judge. It was a couple of years ago. I was 18, maybe 19. It was November of 2012. It was pretty cold outside. Some friends of mine called me to see if I wanted to go hang out, not really do anything in particular, just chill. It sounded fun and I was bored, so I went along. It was me and three of my friends. We went down the highway for a little while, not knowing where we would end up until one of my friends mentioned a dirt road. He knew of not too far from where we were. We eventually found it and started down it. Not too much later, maybe five minutes, we came across a house. None of us knew if it was abandoned, even though it looked like it, or if it was occupied. My friend that knew about the road we had just came down, Said last thing, he heard no one live there, so we figured getting out of the car and having a cigarette and just enjoying the cold air wouldn't be a problem. We were leaning up against an abandoned-looking car that was sitting in what would have been the driveway, I suppose. Just hanging around talking and smoking. It was quiet and dark. That kind of quiet, that's just a tad bit uncomfortable. I was about halfway done smoking when my friend quiets everyone down none of us made a sound thinking perhaps someone did live in the house and he saw them i was ready to bail but no no people at all he points to the left side of the house and there in the dark we all saw whatever this thing was it was darker than the sky behind it and it was tall it must have been at least eight feet tall and you could see hair all over its body everyone stood shocked i suppose at what was standing before us a mere fifteen feet from us I knew everyone was thinking the same thing. Get out of there, right now. Before anyone could say anything, it sprinted. Not just came at us, but it went from dead still to a full-on sprint in a second. We somehow managed to get into the car without it getting to us. We took off before all the doors were even closed. Everybody but our friend driving looked back as we sped off. I remember seeing it, still sprinting at the car full speed, almost catching up to us. It was running right toward the abandoned car we had been leaning on previously. Instead of running around it, it vaulted it, jumped straight over the thing as if it wasn't even there. I was petrified. We didn't stop driving until we got to my friend's apartment, miles and miles away from where we saw that thing. To this day, I still don't know what it was and haven't seen anything else of it since then. But I remember it standing there menacingly like it did back then. Bigfoot may be far-fetched, but I don't know what else it could have been. The crawlers aren't real. That's the first thing you need to understand just in case it starts to affect you before you reach the end of this post. The crawlers aren't real, and you must hold on to that thought no matter what your senses tell you. The crawlers are not real. We are at the start of a public health emergency, and absolutely no one wants to talk about it. Not the state health department, not the CDC, not even the American Psychiatric Association. That last one is what hurts the most. You see, I'm a psychiatrist in a state mental hospital. The patients I treat are generally people who can't function in daily life due to mental illness. Such individuals usually have a wide range of issues from PTSD to schizophrenia. That's why this last week has been so strange. We've had 15 new patients. More than triple what we're used to in this small hospital, and 13 of them show the same pathologies. They speak of inhuman figures that approach by crawling along walls and ceilings, seeking to do them harm. The hallucinations appear to be both vivid and realistic. Each patient describes how they can see, hear, smell, and even feel these creeping things. Their reactions, such as shrieking and cowering in a corner, also suggest that the hallucinations appear to be physically real from the point of view of these patients. And therein lies the danger, not in these nightmarish hallucinations, but rather in each individual's reaction to them. One young man jumped off an eighth-floor balcony. Another middle-aged woman stabbed a meat skewer through her eye socket. Those are just two examples of the lengths people will go to as they try to escape these things that they believe are pursuing them. Furthermore, I'm confident that hundreds of cases of this particular psychosis are going undiagnosed. Although we don't yet have the final data, information from the state health department indicates a dramatic increase in self-harm over the past month an increase of 510% compared to last month's data. So where does that leave us? What I'm about to propose next may seem shocking, even unprecedented, but I ask you to keep an open mind and consider documented events, such as the dancing plague that affected Europe in the 16th century. I believe we may be facing a contagious psychiatric disorder. I base this claim firstly on the psychopathologies. Each patient's description of the stalking creature and their reaction to it are virtually identical in each case. Secondly, the testimonies of the patients themselves suggest that the hallucination is in some sense transmissible. I'll explain further below. A university student described how a friend pounded on her door shortly after midnight, begging to be let in because something was chasing her she hid immediately beneath the bed. But the student in question saw nothing in the hallway. At first, after failing to get anything but gibberish from her friend, she left her room to seek help from the authorities. It was then that she claimed to see a horrible gray thing moving along the ceiling, opening its jaws to devour me. The university student and her friend were admitted last night as case 12 and case 11 respectively. Case 11's attempts at self-harm have thus far been thwarted. Case 12 was not as fortunate. The delusion appears to completely ignore divisions of class, race, age, health, and lifestyle as evinced by Case 8, an 81-year-old man whose background could not be more different than that of cases 11 and 12. Case 8, who prior to being ingressed was housebound due to obesity and other health issues, ...reported how one by one his family members were afflicted. First his granddaughter never came back from buying groceries... ...then his daughter vanished while on a walk... ...and finally his son disappeared while searching for the other two. Case 8 waited a prisoner in his armchair... ...until he saw a godawful shadow silhouetted in the streetlight. According to Case 8, the thing slithered under the door and came for him... ...and that's how he was found screaming and trying to drag his bulk along the floor. Authorities have thus far been unable to locate the missing family members. In cases 11 and 12, the delusion appears to have been passed between two individuals in contact with each other, as with the flu. In case 8, however, we see that it appeared in an entire family, like a genetic disorder. Yet surely none is stranger than that of Case 5, a night security guard at a shopping center. Case 5 was brought to us after he ran crying into traffic and was declared too agitated for normal hospitalization. In Case 5, the hallucinations appeared to have begun of their own accord without any prior contact or family history. The individual was simply performing his duties, walking through the empty mall with a large flashlight when he began to notice movement in the corners of his vision. The following is a transcription of Case Five's words while he was being transported from the hospital to our facility by ambulance. They've lost my scent for now, thank God. Where was I? Right the mall. Patrolling in the mall. It was easy to dismiss at first. A claw disappearing around a corner. A shadow that sort of looked like some starving hunched overthing disappearing into a rack of clothes. It was always creepy in there. Well, I was used to it. Just figured my eyes was playing tricks. But the longer I walked, the more I saw, until it was right in front of me. You can't even imagine. The way it just hung from the ceiling tiles like a damn cave cricket. That skittering sound, and that reeking smell. You can't think of anything else, except that you're gonna wind up in its belly. I ran fast as I could, and it was right behind me the whole way, like it could have taken me at any time and was just toying with me. I think I i felt it brush the back of my neck a few times, just to hear me scream. When I ran out into that traffic, I wasn't even thinking. I didn't even know where I was. Oh my God! Do you hear that? No, wait. Don't look out the window. It'll see. It'll know. It's here. It's trying to slip through the door. It's wailing, unintelligible. Of course, the three ambulance nurses transporting Case 5 did not report seeing anything unusual, except for the unfortunate security guard's own delusional behavior, although it is true that one of them has not yet reported in for his shift today. I mention these cases not only as support for my theory, but also to impress upon anyone who reads this the severity of the situation. So far, recovery from this delusion appears impossible, and death or incapacitation nearly certain, as individuals suffering from it invariably attempt to take their own lives, rather than face the things they believe to be stalking them. I wish I could provide you with more data, but we simply don't have it. I don't want to believe that government agencies and private organizations, even hospitals, are deliberately suppressing information about this condition, but the evidence before my eyes offers no other explanation. Our pleas for resources are stonewalled at every turn, our cases do not remain communicative long enough to be studied, and even our requests for autopsies are denied. My colleagues who have talked to the media find that their warnings go unreported, except by the most extreme fringe journalists, where our desperate call for help appears beside 5G conspiracies, Bigfoot sightings, and MLM ads. With no other recourse, I'm sending this warning to those who might believe it. Based on what we've seen so far, these are the symptoms to watch out for. A persistent feeling of being watched or followed An irrational fear of peepholes cracked, open doors, nearly closed curtains, dark rooms, and other places where something might hide. A sense of movement just beyond the edges of vision, visual, auditory, olfactory, and tactile hallucinations of a creature or creatures, an unexplained desire to flee, accompanied by feelings of dread and helplessness, these are just a few of the first warning signs. Our observations suggest they can occur in any order, over any length of time. Once these symptoms begin to appear, it is critical to remember that these are just delusions. The crawling things are not real. This is where I leave you. I wish you the best, and I hope you never have cause to understand my warning. I hope it passes through your life like forgettable gibberish, and you never endure what our patients are enduring now. I did not intend to end this document on a personal note, but I feel I need to post this while I'm still able. There's a skittering sound coming from the kitchen behind me, and the truth is that I'm afraid to turn around. I was camping in backwoods, northwestern Georgia near the Alabama border as a kid with my dad. I don't remember where exactly, Around 1988, hiking off in the woods, we found this old stone building that looked ancient. It was falling apart and covered in green moss and vines and fallen pine needles and leaves. There was an entrance with no door. The small structure had three rooms total. A main room that the entrance opened into and two smaller rooms on the sides. The floor was just dirt with all sorts of trash and plant litter. There weren't any windows. Someone had clearly set a fire in one room that burned the stone walls black in one area. While exploring it, we discovered a well. At least, I'm assuming that's what it was, because it was a huge hole into the ground with a bottom you couldn't see inside the main room. We're not talking a three-foot-wide well, we're talking six or seven feet. The raised stone wall around this well was maybe a foot and a half to two feet high. It was massive and completely pitch black at the bottom. We dropped a few rocks down it, but never heard a splash or them hitting the bottom. The smell coming from it wasn't like an animal dad down it. It was weirder than that. I can't really describe it other than to say it smelled like decay and danger and very frightening. It wasn't a windy day, but there was a breeze coming up from inside the well and sounds that were very weird. It was a groaning and creaking but not like wood makes. It wasn't constant either. It would happen for a few seconds, stop, but the wind from it was still coming up and start again. It didn't seem rhythmic enough to be machinery. My dad and I were very freaked out because when exploring the structure, we hadn't heard or smelled anything other than earth and must. But when we went to the edge of the well, the sounds, which were loud enough, we should heard it outside, started and so did the breeze. To say the least, it caused me to have a very bad feeling. The sounds were terrifying, especially to a nine-year-old. We took off and went back to our campsite, packed up, and went home. My dad went to try to find the place again to show his friends, but said he couldn't locate it. We'd been camping off in the woods and not in a campsite, so we weren't sure exactly where we'd been. And this was long before GPS devices To this day, I still have occasional nightmares about that well. I wonder what the hell that building was doing off in the middle of nowhere. I wonder who built the structure and whether the well was there before it, if they were built together, or if someone put it in after. I wonder why the well was even there and what we heard coming from it. I have never been able to make sense of any of it, One time we ran from the capital during the war, probably best not to disclose the country name, and went up north to a tribal area, farms, water paths, wild insects, snakes, and all kinds of crazy stuff. People lived in mud-built houses, usually open, deserted areas of all kinds of weird things go on, but people just got used to it. They told us to not be scared if we see something out of the ordinary, just keep doing what we're doing. One night we uh, men of the families slept outside the house next to the farm. Water path. We had a small minivan so we had both slide doors open, hooked up a tiny TV to the battery to watch the news at home. My uncle and his brother-in-law laid in the van whilst we slept on the floor over throw sheets we woke up to my uncle screaming and his brother-in-law running around the car and into the dark. My uncle got out of the car, yelling at us, scared, saying he saw his brother-in-law peeking into the van, staring at him with a wide smile, and when he turned to face the other side, his in-law was also laying asleep next to him. And then it happened, and true, his in-law woke up and got out of the car wondering what happened. We couldn't sleep until sun came out. We spoke to the owners of the land, and they said those are dens, and they can manipulate people by being in different shapes, creatures. We didn't last for a couple more days living with fear, so we all drove back to the capital. But last year, I had just moved in with my, at the time, girlfriend, now wife. She started a new job working nights at a hospital, and our apartment complex was brand spanking new, and it was built out on the edge of town, basically in a very rural area surrounded by nothing but crops and cows, and we were some of the first to move in. One other neighbor and I shared one entire building, and he was never home, so usually late at night it was just the dog and I, with nobody else around. One night, things got creepy. It was spring break week, and literally almost the entire complex was empty, emptier than usual, because most residents are college kids, myself included. It truly would not be surprised if this night I had been the only one in the entire complex, meaning I was alone with nobody around for at least ten miles, compared to some of the other stories here. That's nothing. I wasn't alone at sea or in the wilderness, but I was alone, far from help with nobody around for miles. My wife called me on her break and let me know we were in a severe storm warning. She freaks out and calls me any time weather gets bad. I would like to pretend to be Mr. Tough Guy who ain't afraid of no rain or hail or tornado, but it is a relief to have her call or be around when it gets bad outside she called to remind me of our plants outside. It was midnight, and I was really into a game of Dota, too. But I quit the game and went to go gather up our patio furniture and plants. The wind was picking up, and it was pitch black save for our dim porch light. Nobody near me was home that I knew of, so there were no other lights and just my car in our parking lot. It started thundering on my second trip from the house. We had a ton of potted plants, and lightning started lighting up the pitch-black parking lot, which is when I noticed the man standing near one of the trees that lined the back wall of the complex. I got several good looks at him because it was lightning. In so much, he was wearing black jeans, a black poofy hoodie with the hood up, and he had what looked to be a brown paper bag in his hand. Which made me think, oh, he's picking up after his dog. Well, he had no dog. And as it started storming, he continued to stay out in the trees by the edge of the complex. Finally, I noticed he had moved towards the parking lot. And then he just pooped. I couldn't find him from the window anymore. And I ran to make sure my door was locked. I sat back at my PC. Still not really scared, just being better safe than sorry. I still thought maybe he was picking up dog crap, or... Maybe it was just a drunk college kid smoking a joint or something. In the rain, the more I thought about it, the less it made sense for him to be there. And that is when I saw his outline on my porch. He was sitting on my patio furniture. He just took a seat at the little table we have, and had his legs crossed, and was leaning back. This is where it gets weird, obviously... I banged on our window to shoo him away, and he just stood up. He then turned and tapped back on the glass at me and sort of giggled to himself. Remember, all the while Mother Nature is letting loose in the background. The wind was horrible. It hailed for a bit, and he just stood on my porch and was now staring back at me through the window. I could see his outline through our blinds, but he couldn't, should not have, see me. But he was staring right at my face. His hood obscured his actual face. But I could tell he was Hispanic and had a rosary necklace on. But from a nose up, I couldn't see. He then turned to my door and turned the handle, which is the point at which I decided okay of this shit, and grabbed my gun. I intended to open the blinds and show him I had it to scare him away, or if need be, take a shot through the glass. It took me maybe ten seconds to go to my gun and get back. And I was, of course, in panic, super shaky mode. I honestly feared him crashing through a window or throwing a chair through one or something. When I came back, he was gone, of course. And when I went outside the next day, he had thrown something red and sticky all over my car. Or I assume he did. This event took place when I was 18 years old and living in Spring Creek, Nevada. It's a very small town about 10 miles from Elko, Nevada. I was staying at my friend's aunt's house, and that is where I was living at the time. I slept on the couch in the living room because there weren't enough rooms at her house. One night I woke up at 3 a.m. for no reason. I looked right into the kitchen from the couch and noticed the time. Then I swung my head to my left and instantly jumped and froze with fear as I noticed the living room door was open so wide it was touching the wall. Standing in the living room doorway were three four foot tall beings with heads too large for their bodies. One was standing in front and the other two were about one foot behind the front one and on the left and right side. There was a light coming from behind them shining through the door that was a white color with a tint of light blue. I was unable to make out their facial features due to the lighting coming from only the back of them, but there was no question they were there standing clear as day. As soon as I noticed them and jolted from fear, the front one zoomed over to me on the couch. I didn't notice how it moved because it was so quickly standing over me as I remained laying there. I looked up at it and of course my adrenaline was pumping. I felt a little hand rub my cheek in a comforting way and in my head. I instantly told myself it's okay. Not even kidding the second it touched my cheek, my adrenaline stopped and my heart rate went back to normal. Almost instantaneously, which I still don't know how that is even possible. It's like it controlled my emotions by touching my cheek. The feeling I got when it touched my cheek was overwhelming love and comfort and happiness. It's like it was telling me to not be worried, and it meant no harm. The weirdest thing is that I even looked up at it and smirked with comfort and knew it was okay to go back to sleep. Who would go back to sleep with some unknown being standing right above them. The whole encounter lasted only a minute. I'm now 30 years old, and ever since then, I have had roughly five to six UFO sightings that are undoubtedly UFOs based on them defying all physics. The first UFO I witnessed was with about eight other strangers at a gas station in the same small town, and I was 18 years old as well. I just can't recall if it was before this encounter with extraterrestrials or after. I still have a never-ending curiosity and still feel blessed to have had the experience with extraterrestrials that I have. I'm sitting at work at this moment and felt compelled to share this with you. Even though it was so long ago, it feels great to make others aware that they are not alone, and I too know what is out there. Nearly a year ago, the people living along the riverfront near Preston were set agog by the appearance in the woods of a strange being in human form. When discovered by a party of hunters on his all-fours, pawing and neighing like a horse, their attention was first attracted by what they took to be the whining of a startled horse in the undergrowth. When advanced upon, the strange being ran off on his hands and feet, but the pursuers gained upon him so rapidly he sprang to his feet, and quickly covering the short distance to the river, plunged headlong from a rather high bank into the water and swam to the Indian side. When he reached that bank, he stood up, shook himself like a horse, just out of a bath, and with what might really be called a horse laugh, ran off into the woods. Some months later, he was seen under much the same conditions, but this time west of Woodville on the Indian side. Only a few weeks ago, a man crawled across the road in plain view of several people not far from where the horseman was first seen, but disappeared, the pursuit being somewhat tardy. Since Sunday last, the people living near Colbert, ten miles east of Preston, Grayson County, Texas, have been hunting for a strangely acting man who crawled about like a snake until pursued, when he would jump to his feet and outrun the fastest horses ridden after him. Others who pursued him on foot say they shot at him at close range, but the bullets, if they struck their target, seemed to have no effect as late as last evening children, claimed to have seen the crawling man again near the Varner place, six miles from Colbert. A phone message from Colbert this afternoon confirms previous reports sent out from Durant about the state of excitement and the gathering of several parties for pursuit, but states that public interest has received something of a chill because some of the parties who were present when the closed. Rain shots were tired, say, that although the peculiar being was in the open and very close, that he disappeared with the smoke of the powder. At the Varner place he crawled into the henhouse. It is stated that out in the field a dead chicken, bitten in the neck, and from which there was the appearance of the blood having been drawn, was found. Though with somewhat reduced enthusiasm, the people of the Varner neighborhood are preparing for another big roundup this afternoon and tonight.